Today on the 3 a.m. Coney, Max McDoolin joins the show. He's behind the glass, which is just a term for I can't look at him because of our mic setup, but whatever. We're talking about the Bengals. It's a laid back show because it's a laid back week for Cincinnati. I mean, maybe our backups beat Cleveland, but who really cares? We're in the playoffs. Endless, endless, endless Joe Burrow hype is what I have fed into Max McDoolin's ears since I was a, what, sophomore at Ohio University, Max? That I've just been pumping this kid up and telling you about him. I remember a very specific memory. He came in as a backup against Ohio State. Were you at that beat-ups that night? Do you remember this? Yeah. He came in as a backup. Um, Not against Ohio State. No, for Ohio State. And I was like, oh, here he is. Here he is. This kid I've been telling you about. This kid I've been telling you about. And he was like, decent. Okay. You know, it was a backup role end of the game. And I felt like everybody's rolling their eyes at me. And and I just really enjoy the journey that we've all gone through. And I'm so happy that this story that, you know, was told to me way before it became relevant. And I never thought it would be this relevant, especially in my own life. Grew up a Bengals fan. And we were talking about this before the show, Max. The difference in experience of people who knew Joe through Athens, who knew that he was the quarterback prodigy that just wasn't being shared to the country, that just wasn't believed in by enough people. And I think those people can be considered 1,000% unequivocally correct about Joe Burrow, obviously. But that difference in what they expect for the Cincinnati Bengals compared to what Cincinnati Bengals fans are experiencing with Joe Burrow bursting onto the scene now. You know, not saying that anybody believes in the kid more or less, but you were just talking about the difference in thoughts and expectations, and, and I'd love to you to touch on that and for us to kick off the show there. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that I, I was thinking about is you're kind of talking about telling these stories and creating these expectations and doing all these different things with Joe Burrow. What I was thinking about and kind of lost in thought over here was, was that I'm like, when did I start getting tired of it? And then when did I start getting, okay, I'm back into it again, right? Because there was this point where I'm like, okay, I see it. He's at LSU. He had, you know, an average year. And then he had a great year and we were enjoying it all year long. And then I'm like, okay, I'm kind of exhausted of it. It is what it is. We know the Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow, whatever. And then last year it was, well, we've got a great quarterback on a great team, on a great quarterback on a terrible team. Yep. And, I still was hearing every week about Joe Burrow and here was this moment and here's that moment and here's that moment. Here's this stat. I mean, I was filtering so many stats. I'm like, he's the only guy with eight sacks and a 120 pass rating in any game, the rookie season. I mean, I was doing it all to you, man. But then what really happened today, well, this year, first of all, I, of course, I'm not tired of hearing about it at all because everyone's talking about it. And it's like, well, I've been hearing about this literally since we were in college together. But the other thing that I loved was, you know, everybody lately on Twitter talks about how PFF is a Cincinnati company, and that's why it loves Joe Burrow. That's why its ratings are so good on them, and some of the other Bengals that have been rated highly this year. But, man, I went and looked at some of his stats, and it's just like the thing that is so mind-boggling about Joe Burrow 
is that I don't like advanced stats in football as much as other sports. I don't like the analytics. I think it applies well for baseball because it's 162-game season, so everything comes back to the mean eventually. I think it applies well for basketball because it's an 81-game regular season, and you got to go through like 17 rounds of seven-game playoff series. And they're much more repeatable sports. I yeah. mean, they, they're almost yeah. the same actions. time and time. I mean, pick and roll. How many times is the pick and roll run yeah. in an NBA in a year? A million? Exactly. But, like, for example, here's an example why analytics – tell you an obvious answer, right? Our gut feeling in the Browns game when we were driving downfield and then a pick six is thrown at the first drive, analytics will tell you that your winning percentage chances just changed radically and your gut tells you to. So I yeah. just don't even care about it. But what I was looking at today was, was that his turnover-worthy plays, his accuracy, just analytics-wise, and... um his what? What's the statistic where they change your completion percentage? Adjusted completion percentage. He leads the league yeah. in all these analytic by categories. a distance. So what that means is, is that if you were to take Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, and if you were to take them to one of those sports science camps, yeah, where they're where trying you're to doing accuracy contests and where you're doing yardage contests and where you're doing release point and all this stuff, Joe Burrow is the best. And the numbers this year are telling you, well, holy cow, obviously, he's an MVP candidate who's been on his back 50-plus times because he's been sacked so many times. What if he's only been sacked 30 times? His numbers, I mean, he might have a year. That's the thing that I'm so excited about. You're like this expectation of this season. It's like finally in my head I'm able to view a little bit of the idea of, okay, what's the expectation uh, for a few years from now? Joe Burrow might be the first, you know, 65 touchdown pass NFL well, it's, season. The ceiling is unlimited. Because totally of, unlimited. Because of his ability to consistently play the position at a high level. And it's consistency. That's the best part about Joe Burrow. And the best part is consistency in his pr- approach. Zach Taylor mentioned that in his press conference today. Consistency in his delivery. Consistency in his footwork. Consistency in his mindset. Consistency. That's what the quarterback position is about. Time and time again, making the right decision, making the right play, making an accurate throw, getting your feet right, sliding properly, keeping both hands on the football. This is what quarterback is about. And I think Kurt Warner said something really well is that even if you ripped off Joe Burrow's knees and he could only stand in the pocket, he would still be a good NFL quarterback. Just a good, like a 39-year-old Joe Burrow that's as slow as Ben Roethlisberger. He won't be that slow at 39 because Ben didn't take care of his body. But just imagine it. Give Joe Burrow Ben Roethlisberger speed. He is still at least the 15th best quarterback in the league because of his accuracy, because of his leadership and ability to read defenses. That high of a floor combined with the magic that he can provide means you can do literally anything offensively. Yeah. Imagine if Peyton Manning were this mobile. I mean, like, that's the thing. And it, it, it's only crazy because it's the Bengals. Like, let me, this is one of those things I wanted to bring up to you. There are certain things that aren't predicted that were predictable. So let's go back to the Super Bowl last year. Chiefs, Tampa Bay. What was predicted by many? Now, I picked the Bucks, But what was predicted was the Chiefs are going to win. The Chiefs are going to score. But then they miss their left tackle, a couple other offensive linemen. Tampa Bay is at home, and they have the greatest quarterback of all time. So once that game was done, we looked back at it and went, well, that was actually predictable. We should have seen that coming. That wasn't out of nowhere. That wasn't, uh, you know, a 15 beating a 2 in March Madness where it wasn't predictable. Like, you should have seen this coming. So let me go through this. Heisman Trophy winner, 
elite quarterback coming out of high school, if you look at all the numbers, 60 touchdowns in the SEC, number one overall pick is an MVP candidate in his second year. What is crazy about that? What's crazy about that? The greatest college quarterback ever, arguably the greatest high school quarterback in Ohio history. You could, I haven't looked through the nation, so I can't make that statement. One of the greatest high school players of all time because of the way he elevated Athens. Greatest college quarterback of all time. Why is it crazy that this is something that has never been seen in the NFL before? Because all the scenarios, all the buildup, number one overall pick, everything he had to overcome if you just took the Cincinnati Bengals out of the equation and popped any other franchise that has a Super Bowl ring, I mean, the the level of hype that we would be hearing about this kid, which we're starting to hear now. I've heard this week, he is an all-time great player if he stays healthy. All-time great, no doubt about it. The hype is coming now. They see it now. But it should have been predictable. We should have, we should be more okay with the fact that this is realistic. Right, Max? That's 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 kind of the difference between Bengals fans and people that knew the Joe Burrow story very intimately. Yeah. I, is that it's... It, now, everybody will admit that watch Joe Burrow. Nobody expects 525 yards. Nobody expects beating the Chiefs. He continues to exceed everybody's expectations. But the idea that the number one overall pick, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, has turned around a franchise worst to first to 10 and six and is an MVP candidate, that is not insane. That's happened multiple times throughout NFL history. It's one of those things that wasn't predicted, but when we look in hindsight, it's not that crazy that it happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and I think that the biggest part of it is is that watching Joe Burrow is like living in a dream. I mean, and and so what I mean by that is is that you just kind of wonder when it ends. And I think that's how all analysts look at it. Like Patrick Mahomes was not an unbelievably highly touted prospect his entire career in the sense that they thought he'd be an NFL quarterback. He gets in a perfect situation in Kansas City with an already good team, solid organization, a good quarterback who Alex Smith, had he been in a better situation from the start of his NFL career, might have been a Hall of Famer, but a very good NFL quarterback by the end. And then you get to play uh, under a coach who was one of the first coaches to really embrace a mobile quarterback who was not run first in the modern NFL, uh, Warren Moon, uh, uh, you know, ran for a lot of yards. Kenny Anderson ran for a lot of yards. Um, uh, there's been a lot of quarterbacks who've been mobile, but Donovan McNabb was kind of that first. He's mobile, but he's not run first. And then they, and then Andy Reid does the exact same thing with Patrick Mahomes, but instead of doing it from under center, they're doing it out of spread offense. Look, and Mahomes and, and, is much better than McNabb. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, not surprising, right? You're not living in a dream world there. The dream world with Joe Burrow is is that he started at Ohio State and not not I don't mean started a quarterback but I mean he was at Ohio State never really had an opportunity obviously injury is more what led to that but also Urban Meyer's doubting doubtfulness of him the rest of the country doubted him and didn't really give him an opportunity Nebraska doubted him and said no to him again you're living in this dream of like okay I mean this kid might have been good he might have been interesting and football is this interesting place where story oftentimes overrides ability too it's kind of gotten because it's become the old you know what baseball used to be where you scout someone because of who their dad is who their mother is what's their pedigree who played who coached so you that's the other part of joe burrow that's very confusing is that you say well his dad is a football coach his family is a football family there's no reason that any college um 
in 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 uh, in college football in Division One college football should have said no to this kid. Well, there the, should have been countless offers, but again, they didn't do that. And then he goes to LSU, and you're living in this dream world where you have this character of a coach. I mean, think about this: five to ten years from now, and especially twenty to thirty years from now, all of us are going to remember this coach who played this character of "I'm from Louisiana, I talk with a Cajun accent, I'm crazy, I'm nuts, and I'm given this." kid the keys to the football team and again everybody thought that he was crazy at first and then LSU had a good season but then they had the dream season and then the dream comes to an end right he goes to the NFL he's the number one overall pick everything looks beautiful and he gets hurt his rookie season and not just hurt but a tragic injury the type of injury that you get in a horrible car accident the type of injury that you get when you're collided into um in, in, in that ends people's careers and people are going to continue to doubt because the dream is now over. But with Joe Burrow, the dream just never dies. And finally people are realizing that we're living in that dream world where his abilities, it, it doesn't, the stats don't matter with Joe Burrow. And that's like, like I said to you before the podcast, the line that I wrote, you go to see Joe Burrow play football for the same reason that you went to see Woods in his Sunday red. You go to see DiCaprio act and watch the sunset from Mount Adams in Cincinnati. It's art. It should be painted, not photographed. And at the end of the day, it's not the stats that matter. Here, great example of that, and, and then I'll go back to you, but that 525-yard game against the Ravens, if you were watching it, nobody was referencing, referencing the stats that much during the broadcast or the game until it was over. Now, me, because I was like watching him throw and all that, I'm looking on my phone. Where's he at? Is he going to break a franchise record and all that stuff? But that wasn't even a part of the story because the broadcasters themselves, the players themselves on the sideline, the coaches, the fans, everyone watching was so entranced by what he was doing and what the team was doing around him. Because he was doing everything in that game, sliding around in the pocket like – the one, the and one. Joe Mixon's great catch in order to seal that franchise. Oh, yeah. It gets overlooked, but that's the, it, you know, everyone wants to make a play with Joe on the field. Well, and I think, you know, you go back to one of the main reasons of if, if we want to, because this is what this week is for. We've got plenty of time to talk about the playoff game. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. And I don't think I'm going to spend a second on the Browns game. Not one second. So let's talk about. What happened year one to two in terms of the Joe Burrow experience? What did he say? He told us, and this is the thing, is Joe Burrow is the most honest player in the NFL at the podium. I, I think. That I, and and I, listen, I think Zach Taylor is one of the most honest head coaches at the podium, too. You have to be honest when you're two and 14. That's the only thing that's going to work. You can't sit there and do what Joe Judge did and have an 11-minute speech that makes no sense and you're preaching about culture and all those things. You just have to be honest. But I when, think that Zach, quote about Cincinnati is mid- Everything here is mid, mid. Midwest is not Chicago. Midwest is like Cincinnati, Indiana, you know, Illinois, Iowa. Yeah, it's Southern these, Illinois. Like, it's this it mid- goes around Chicago. Yeah, yeah, Chicago it, is just an extension like, of New York. Athens is Midwest. You know, Columbus, you can take that out. It's becoming this, you know, millennial hotspot. Cleveland, right? It's the Midwest mentality of, did you have a good day today? Oh, God, work sucked. Like this is just you don't come home after a long day at work, you know, in in Chicago and then, you know, complain about the physicality of your job or this or that or whatever. And maybe some people do. But most of the time, you know, it's that, you know, my life is great and everything is going on and I'm going I'm going 500 miles an hour. Whereas in the Midwest, 
Just like this football team plays, you know, there's that oh, long, heavy, I got to sit down here and talk and be, man, you know, it was a tough day out there today, but we came out with the victory and uh, my knee's a little bit sore and there's this and there's that. And there, we're not hiding anything. No, because we don't eat honest fact. You don't have to hide anything. And, and that's what did he say at the end of last year? I got to get my arm stronger and I got to get better at a deep ball. Do you know the throw that I think haunts Joe Burrow to this day? You remember, I think it was week one. Yep, week one against the Chargers. And he just, I've never seen him miss a throw that way. He literally overthrew A.J. Green by eight yards in the end zone. It was, and what he said after the game is that was a high school throw. And I, do you know how many times I bet he watched that throw? What, what was wrong? What were my feet wrong? Did I get the timing wrong? It was like, And what we've noticed is I'm going to get a stronger arm, which I didn't really believe when he said, I said, how can you really improve your arm strength that much? But again, this is the blessing in disguise of the knee injury. Like I think the knee injury had to happen for the Bengals to win the division this year. I think there is no way on this earth that if the knee injury doesn't happen, that the Bengals win the division this year, I think they'd be competitive. I think they'd be in the playoffs because here's what happened with the knee injury. Very obvious point. Joe Burrow rips his knee up and you get the number five pick and you get Jamar chase. Every time you see that knee brace on Joe Burrow's leg, you should think about Jamar Chase. Every time. Every time you see that knee brace or rewatch that injury, your next thought should immediately be, yeah, but we got Jamar Chase. And I think that's what Joe's thought's going to be in a year. He's going to reflect on his career and go, you know, if I didn't have to go through that rehab, I would have never been able to get my hips stronger. I would not have been able to refocus on my lower half and find a way to get stronger through an offseason. Because if you talk to Jordan Palmer, who worked with him in the offseason, he improved his velocity by nine miles per hour to where his velo on you know slants, intermediates, 15, 20, when he can just zip it in there, is the same as Josh Allen's. That's a recorded stat from Jordan Palmer. 54 miles per hour. Now, that's in perfect settings where he can step into the throw, and I think Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, I think Kyler Murray even, I think these guys still have a naturally better arm, but Joe got better at it. He said arm strength. And then what happened with the deep balls? He just needed timing with his receivers. That's what deep balls, deep balls are about timing and knowing their stride length and knowing what part of the body they like the ball at and then just working on it consistency over and over and over and over and again And he went from the worst deep ball thrower in the NFL to 66.6. So it's not even the yardage, right? Because then you say, well, Jamar catches and runs. That's a deep ball. But 66.6% on target percentage on throws 30 plus yards down the field. Highest in the NFL. Second is Aaron Rodgers. And the most 30 plus yard touchdown throws. Yeah. Any team this season. The touchdowns are on the wide receivers, but putting the ball on the money 40 yards down the field, he's better at it than anybody in the league. And he told you that's what he was going to get better at. So what I'm excited about is at the end of this season, whatever happens, Super Bowl, first round playoff exit, I don't know. Whatever happens, I can't wait to hear Joe Burrow's final press conference to hear what he's going to get better at. Because there's there he's going to pick something in his game. I don't know what it is. And he's going to turn that thing from a weakness or something that's average. And I guarantee he'll be one of the best in the league at it next year. I just don't know what it is. But whatever it is, it's going to elevate his game even more. And that's like the year two to three excitement there. I think he's got one more major jump in him, and then he'll probably plateau out at 26. Well, and the other thing, too, that you were talking about timing with receivers, and this is what he didn't have last year. He didn't know 
where does A.J. Green like the ball? How does A.J. Green like this? How does this receiver like this? How does this receiver do this? How does this receiver do that? If you look at this Bengals receiving core, not only are they each in their individual role very well, they're also used exactly at what they're best at. And so what that means is, is that if you watch a deep ball to Jamar Chase, it's an in-stride, speedy, launch deep ball down the sideline. Every, almost every highlight is going to be that. Now, last game, I got really excited. He had a couple contested catches, which we haven't seen Jamar have very Since many Since the Baltimore this year, game early in right? the year. Very rare. But, but again, most of them have been in stride. And then T, it felt like, was a little cold early. And then Joe figured out, oh, T is this physical wide receiver that we talked about, and he can do it. And so what, if you go look at T Higgins, deep ball highlights, what are they? contested catches one-on-one coverage he did not beat the corner he beat the corner on the leap on the catch on the play he didn't beat him in stride and then Tyler Boyd's best highlights of the season he in my point of view has been the best route runner on this team all year especially within the medium route range he is a he's not as physical as like a TJ Hushmanzada but still those little ends, the little curls, the little zigs and zags that are anywhere between 5 and 15 yards, and then his physicality can turn him into bigger plays. Perfect. And then Uzama, right? Another great pass catcher on this team so far this season has been used really effectively in the short yardage situation where they swing him out right and left, and then Uzama has this great ability to go north and south. He doesn't run north and south routes very well because he doesn't have all this speed, but he's a great little leak out tight end, you know, he, and again, he doesn't run the Witten route either. He's not the tight end that runs the 10 yard, you know, out or 10 yard in or 10 yard dig. He just is perfect at finding space, being open and then going north and south. And every single wide receivers, well, pass catchers, I should say, pass catchers, biggest plays of the year. You can go look at the highlight and uh, the highlight package of their biggest plays. And it's all of them being put in a position to make their favorite type of play exactly. by their quarterback. And I, here's a here's an exercise Bengals fans can do. Watch Joe's tar- go watch a full game and and watch Joe's targets to certain receivers that are like easy balls, not the deep balls, not the stuff that's contested. I'm talking they got open on an in cut, they got open on a slant, right? They're they're open on an out. Where do they like the ball? Jamar Chase likes it on his body. T. Higgins likes it face mask high. Tyler Boyd likes it at the shoulders. Joe Mixon likes it in front of him. And if you go watch Joe's throws, almost every throw to T. Higgins is right at his face mask, right at his face mask, right at his face mask. Then you watch the throws to Jamar's on slant and stuff. Do you ever see Joe Burrow throw to Jamar's face mask? No, never. No, it's in his body because Jamar does not have the same type of hands that T. Higgins has. T. Higgins has very good hands. Jamar Chase is a very good athlete who I think he's moving too fast. What I think he tries to do, Max, is I see him catch the ball and then like try to readjust, which is incredibly difficult to do. He does it successfully 80% of the time, but the time that it doesn't work, you have that shit that happened against the Chargers where it pops into the air, right? So that's- Well, and we don't talk enough about Jamar, how he spent an entire year not playing real football games. Yeah, so he's got to, you know, get used to it, whatever. But there were some drop issues at LSU early. Um, Playing one year. Yeah, but he barely played in 2018, so he wasn't really the guy that- that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's- it's just one of those He's ultimate 21. athletes now, who's only going to get better. Did, we tweeted a stat out from the Coney. I don't know if you saw this, Max. I'm going to go ahead and pull this up because this is very relevant. Let's go ahead and have the Jamar Chase conversation to end. I'd like to have, because we're talking future today. So let's talk the hot conversation, which is the quarterback-wide receiver duo. 
Now, I tweeted this from the Coney, and I know you don't like takes like this, but I was feeling really frisky, and I tweeted this out at 2 a.m. I said, uh, Chase to Burrow or Montana Rice, question mark, that will be a legitimate question in 15 years. I guarantee it. That's what I tweeted. And then people are like, oh, no, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. So I went and did some research. Okay, if they're going to reach the statistical thresholds that Jerry Rice reached, to be compared to Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. Remember, Jerry Rice had Steve Young at the back end of his career too. Let's take a look at this. Here's the tweet from the 3AM Coney. Make sure you give us a follow at 3AM Coney. Jerry Rice has six seasons with more receiving yards than Jamar had this year, which is 1,429. Those six seasons happened from age 24 to age 32. Randy Moss has three seasons with more yards. He was 23 years old, 26 years old, and 30 years old. Marvin Harrison also has three, 27, 29, 30. Larry Fitzgerald only has one. He was 25. Terrell Owens only has one. He was 27. Jamar Chase is 21 years old. He is 21 years old. And what the real advantage is here is that go look at all those guys I just mentioned, the greatest wide receivers of all time. What was Jerry Rice's? What was the reason that Jerry Rice was able to reach those statistical thresholds? Because he never played with a bad quarterback until he started stacking yards up at the end of his career. He went from Joe Montana to Steve Young, who are both in the top 15 of my quarterback spreadsheet. Rich Gannon was pretty good, too. And, like, oh, yeah, Rich Gannon was throwing him. I see, I even forgot that. So he just had great quarterbacks. Randy Moss had those down years until he had Tom Brady. So he would have reached more statistical thresholds. Marvin Harrison, when did he get Peyton Manning? At 27. And that's when he broke out. T.O., I mean, he had some Steve Young, some time with the 49ers, but Donovan McNabb might have been his best quarterback. You know, it's Jamar Chase. Is This is the first receiver of this caliber to be paired with this caliber of a quarterback at this age. So listen, you know, we can all do well, got to stay healthy. It's the NFL. It's super tough. I get that. I understand that. Nothing is guaranteed in this league. But if you want to ask who can break Jerry Rice's receiving record, it might be the guy that's got 21, is 21 years old, has 1,400 yards in his rookie year, and is with an elite quarterback who are both going to be under contract for 15 years in Cincinnati if everything goes to plan. So if you want to talk about who can do it, who can break the most unbreakable record that's ever been set in the NFL, Jamar Chase is the leading candidate and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are the leading candidates to be the next great quarterback wide receiver combo. Rice, Montana, Harrison, Manning, Moss, Brady, Chase, Burrow. I really do believe that. And what statistically have we seen this year, Max, that makes me sound crazy here? Am I crazy? No. Um, I think the game is different though. And, and yeah, sure. got, you, you have to apply that. Like, so that's where this is why I, as you know, dislike comparisons because Montana and Rice were so unbelievably ahead of the rest of the league at that time. I, I can't tell you that Chase and Burrow are so unbelievably ahead of Rogers Adams or so unbelievably ahead of uh, even Allen Diggs or so unbelievably ahead of some of these others great quarterback Mahomes, wide no, receiver Mahomes Tyreek is should be the one that Mahomes, yeah Mahomes Tyreek that's the most comparable they, right there actually if you want you know I kind of the leading candidate to be that pair Montana Rice is actually Mahomes Hill because they have a similar age and statistical threshold that Burrow and Chase are. But I think that's what I love about the NFL is it's such an era game that it, it, you know, basketball, for some reason, everybody likes to make the comparisons. And maybe that's why I hate the NBA because everybody wants to know who's the greatest of all time. I don't care. 
Like, move on. Um, there's so many games. There's so many things. That's the cool thing about football. Who's the greatest quarterback of all time? Well, you can't argue with Tom Brady's rings. That's the end of the story. His stats also tell the rest of the story. And if you removed, you know, four of his rings and he's had all the same stats, you know, you would probably still call him the greatest of all time. I, I certainly would. Um, but still, the rings really seal the deal in in the NFL. Um, but anyways, um, where I get with that is, is that like you said, if, if you are going to take uh, a historical record in the NFL, and this is where I think you're right, is that the NFL is a very, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a sport where one season is normally indicative of where you're going to go next. So if you're a younger player and you have a good season or a very good season, and we already consider you an elite athlete, then that means that's going to be indicative of getting better. So Jamar Chase definitely is on a path to being better than he is today, which is a scary thing for people to realize. Additionally, with that, um, the NFL is a sport where a year of regression is normally indicative of the fact that you are literally regressing, right? And in other sports, it doesn't, it's not always going to work that way. You have a down year, but sometimes you can bounce back from it a little easier. The NFL, the rise in the fall happens quickly on both ends of the spectrum. And then the question is on the rise and the fall, how long is the plateau, right? And and that's that's the biggest, biggest question with this Bengals team as you look into the future is that, you know, everybody said Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of this moment. Everybody was able to observe when that moment occurred, but no one could predict that here in 2021, it would still be happening, yeah, right? Well, and, I, and so that's where I get um, on that topic. And I think I agree with you that if the if Joe Burrow is going to win a Super Bowl with the Cincinnati Bengals and not just be a Hall of Fame quarterback with great statistics, a la Dan Marino, if they're going to win a Super Bowl, in my opinion, it has to be in the next four years. Yeah, and, and minimum I, because of the way the roster's set up with the locker room they have and the culture they have. Listen, Joe Burrow's going to be great, and the Bengals are going to make playoff games, and the Bengals are going to win playoff games, and he's going to be elite, and he's going to win MVPs until he's thirty eight. But there will be a time when the roster isn't as tied together, that the culture isn't as good, that you're going to miss on some rookies, that, you know, the Bengals are known to <laughs> get cheap at times. So you never know what's going to develop from here. And but- nobody could have predicted, you know, there were so many people sitting after year two and three of Andrew Luck's NFL career. No one could have predicted the downfall that would occur there. Now, again, you're talking about a different athlete that we already knew where his mental status yeah, was a little person. bit. But I'm still saying that that's a great example of what happens in the NFL. It is very hard to predict the future long term. No one could have predicted in 2005 that Manning's greatest offensive season would occur in Denver, yet his final Super Bowl would happen in his most putrid offensive season, right? It's just one of those things that it's fun that it's unpredictable. Well, if you want to do a Bengals thing, if you ask Bengals fans in 2005 in the lead up to the playoff game, hey, Carson Palmer is going to request a trade in five years. Yeah. Like that's like a what? I would say even it's if you told NFL fan or told a Bengals fan right now um, in 2021 that, you know, Carson Palmer doesn't identify with the Bengals anymore as a team. Right, he calls himself a cardinal. Yeah. He's this very, very, in a very irritating way, but it is what it is. But if you told a Bengals fan right now, they would say, gosh, I thought Carson might even still be playing. 
you know? Yeah, in 2021, And, right? and not only is he not playing, he doesn't even consider himself ever being a Bengal and all that stuff. I have a question for you bouncing away from kind of these future predictions and all this stuff. Yeah, rolling to the end of the show here. Well, this season, I uh, one of the big talking points was Zach Taylor, right? I mean, that was a huge talking point. Is Is Zach Taylor a good football coach? I think Zach Taylor is a great culture builder. I think Zach Taylor is everything you want in a coach in terms of how he prepares, his family values, all of those things. Is Zach Taylor ready to out-scheme other coaches in the NFL and win games that way? No. Good thing he's got more talent than everybody at the offensive skill positions, right? Really. So it's like, I don't think he's ready to go out-scheme Bill Belichick offensively. But I think him and Joe Burrow combined in their brain power can maybe get something together. And we've seen what they've been able to produce this year. But what's exciting about Zach Taylor and is exciting about the team, and this was the vision that the Bengals sold to us guys, he will get better. And he has gotten better. I think he's gotten better at time management. I think he's gotten better at making sure that he doesn't lose the run game in certain situations that you don't want to lose it in. You know, because Joe Burrow, if he's under 30 pass attempts, what's the Bengals record? Do you know? What? 6-0. Because, duh, if you're able to run the ball effectively and keep the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands... You can control the game. Now, there's certain teams in this league you can't play like that against, like Kansas City. I mean, if Joe Burrow doesn't throw 30 times against Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes better have been hurt in the first quarter, right? That's what better have happened or else you will lose quickly. So I love that he's he's much more understanding of how to win games in the NFL. And even though there's some weird decisions and whatever, he's so young and he just provides the culture that allows this team... This team, this group, this roster, these personalities, I I don't think they would succeed under Bill Belichick. I don't think that that's the environment that was best for this group. They're big game guys, and they fail against the Jets because Zach wants them to cut loose. And that is going to be really, really helpful in big, big games. And what has this team been? It's been a big game team. I say Marvin Lewis is a better football coach than Zach Taylor, but Zach Taylor knows how to get guys to perform at a higher level in big games than Marvin Lewis ever could. And Jesse Bates had that quote that Marvin got so messed up in the head by the Steelers because of 05 and because of 15 and because of the playoff losses that every time they play a night game, every time they played the Steelers, every time they played a, well, Jesse Bates wasn't there for a playoff game, but every time it was a big game at night, he said the coaching staff got tight. Practice got tight. Everybody got tight and we played tight. Zach Taylor doesn't do that. The bigger the game gets, the more relaxed Zach Taylor wants you to be. He wants you to cut loose. And what's that led to? It's led to some dumb mistakes from 22, 23, and 24-year-old guys. But what it also leads to is in the biggest moments, down 14 against Kansas City. They're, they're, even if you took the same roster and put Marvin Lewis on the sideline and his culture there's no way that team ever comes back down 14. They'd be too tight. There's no way that team has a winning record, I don't think. No, I think that this team had to cut loose. And that just fits Joe Burrow's mindset and, and the way he... It's a perfect pair. That's what I like. It's, that, it's not that Zach Taylor's a great football coach. It's that him and Joe Burrow work really well together. And I want that over a genius. And Zach Taylor's, I mean... His culture change, I mean, you you felt that in year one, even though they sucked. You definitely felt it in year two. Um, here's my, the my you love hypotheticals, so I wanted to get to this, and we don't have to spend tons of time on it. But my last question along the Zach Taylor line, though, is, is that Joe Burrow gets his knee banged up a little bit, and the Bengals and Chiefs are tied 31-31. 
We go for it on fourth down. None of those flat, you know, Bengals turn the ball over, lose that game. What's the Zach Taylor narrative this week? Because it's amazing to me how different, how the NFL can just flip on such a dime. Because I know, you know, because here's the thing. Some people who like their coaches, I think the narrative would be, like in New England, it would be, well, we called quarterback sneaks and our quarterback should have scored a touchdown, right? Like, Whereas the narrative in Cincinnati would have been, what was Zach Taylor doing? Why didn't we kick a field goal? And it's just so interesting to me that that's how little room for error there is in the NFL for being talked highly about all week long, not just as a coach and as a player, but as an organization, to being said, oh, the Bengals bungled again. And again, that's what I'm excited about. The culture is different. First of all, if you go look at the play where the flags happen and people are screaming it's and shouting. Oh my gosh. It's it, a flag. Easy, easy, easy call. So the Chiefs lost that game, and the Bengals' culture won it. And also, those flags, if they didn't happen, I think the Bengals score a touchdown on those plays. You have one wide receiver getting tackled. You got one getting his face mask grabbed. So, again, it's a very broad hypothetical because we won the game, and I think we won it very rightfully. But still, I just think it's unbelievable to me how how quickly that can change, right? Yeah, I wouldn't have because they did battle back. They're right there. A close loss there. I would have been like, just please make sure you beat Cleveland. And then I would be in the exact same place I am right at this moment because you have the AFC North Championship. Just a much more anxious week. Yeah, and listen, when you sell culture like this that Zach sells, winning is an igniter for it. Winning is the fuel that makes it, a really, 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 really effective culture. Look at how happy everybody is. Well, this that's week. I think the most important game of this season that nobody's going to remember, that nobody's going to talk about, was the game you and I were at on that Thursday night. I think that I think that game is what is is the reason that Zach Taylor is going to be here for another five to six years minimum, probably ten, because especially with this organization, because y'all they got booed off the field at halftime, down fourteen nothing. And Joe Burrow had his A game, and the coaching staff was getting outcoached by Urban frickin' Meyer and the Jaguars, which is a complete disaster. The Jaguars were 0-3. The entire nation was watching. Dude, the Joe pressure Burrow. was on. And Joe Burrow said, what did he literally say? He said, it's time for me to take over. Because this is he knew that this was the moment that if they lost to this Jaguars team, not a soul in that locker room is going to believe in Zach Taylor. Not a soul. And Joe Burrow saved his ass that night by and playing. That was, I don't care how many yards he throws for in, in, in 525, 446 against the Chiefs. In terms of how good Joe Burrow was in comparison to what the game needed, that Jaguars game was the best game Joe Burrow's played all year. It was an absolute, unbelievable takeover of a football game from one individual player that saved the Bengals' bacon and made Zach Taylor's culture click a little more. And ended Urban Meyer's NFL career. Yes! Oh, so poetic, man. So poetic. Scott Frost needs to take an NFL job so Joe Burrow can drop 750 on him. Oh, gosh. Nebraska is a mess. You know, um, so is LSU. That's the thing. Look at the places that he leaves and what happens. I mean, that's an indication of everything. Yeah, Athens. Athens just had a losing season, I think. Um, Athens High School. Athens yeah. High School was five and five the year. A lot of freshmen though this year. Yeah, I mean they're young. Whatever. Athens is a good program now. 
Um, but still, yeah, LSU, their coach is gone. The coach that was there, gone. Well, Nebraska, Athens has a brand new weight room because, well, actually the weight room's there because a tornado came through. Not really because of Joe Burrow. But they wanted to make it nice because they had a state championship team. I was going to say, a tornado destroys it, but you at least make it instead of just a the little The community's rinky. like, we got Joe Burrow, built this thing. Yeah, back. let's not make it rinky-dinky here, you know? Yeah, you know, you want to elevate to the level. And I can't wait till the Bengals build their indoor practice facility because it's coming. Because... You know, Joe can say, Upon well, on the death of Mike Brown, I mean, <laughs> okay. If Joe Burrow wins a Super Bowl, what could he get? Final question for me to you. We've gone way long, but whatever. If Joe Burrow won a Super Bowl, what could he get out of Mike Brown that you think he would like to add that the Bengals don't currently have? What do you think he could get him to do? I don't think Joe Burrow doesn't, he doesn't ask for those things. I know that's what kind of, but like, what could he, if he wanted to, I think he could get an indoor practice facility. I think if he won a Super Bowl and said, Hey Mike, I'd love an indoor practice facility. But it's like Joe would never ask. uh, So what? Yeah. I mean, he could get whatever amount of money he wanted and we don't know how much he's going to ask for. That's, that's what's interesting. Personality. Like, do you think Joe Burrow could get, he could get a golden statue of a Bengal tiger to hoist the Lombardi trophy that he wins to sit over near the ruler of the jungle thing that they built. He could totally convince Mike Brown to spend $100,000 on that. But Joe Burrow doesn't want those things. God, All he hey. wants is just, you know, to join the names in the brand new ring of honor that's finally above the stadium. He wants to be up there one day, and he wants to go back to Athens with a Super Bowl or two, being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who played the game happily, quietly, confidently, and cocky at times, and sit down in a local bar and drink a beer and watch any kids that he has play local football and relax. He is literally your prototypical American dream of I'm going to come in, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to chill out. Okay, let me let me rephrase the question then. Do you think he would ever move to Hollywood? No. No, I don't think so. But that's what I'm saying. Although he does, he does some rehab in LA, but that's just where the best rehab in the world is. But think about this. The best rehab in the world, the best weed in the world. If Joe Burrow won a Super Bowl and the Mike Bur- the Brown family went to the city of Cincinnati and, and asked for taxpayer money to build an indoor practice facility, <laughs> is that a yes or yeah. a no vote? I think it wins by like 75%. <laughs> How much on my taxes? $10 a year? Sure. Build that thing, Mike. Build it. Build it under the bridge. You want a retractable roof? Sure. Whatever. Oh, my God. Well, if Joe Burrow wins a Super Bowl, that stadium deal's coming up. We're getting a dome. We're getting a dome. We should put a dome. I told you that, and you hated that idea. Yeah, but now I'm thinking about it, and I'm watching Peyton Manning highlights, and then I watch, like, the Freezer Bowl and things like that, and I would just hate to lose an AFC Championship game because Jamar Chase slips on ice. But Joe Burrow would never lose an AFC Championship game because he slips on ice. Just the... uh, Whatever they are, the Chargers, whatever city they play in, or claim to play in, or supposedly support. Inglewood. I hate the Chargers. I'm officially a Chargers hater. Rest of my life. I want. <laughs> I, I hope that the Bengals destroy the Chargers. That that two-point conversion will live in my head for the rest of my life when Herbert spiked that ball in front of us, section 222, McDoolin section. That was brutal. And then we almost came back and won. I hope that that moment, the Chargers, every time they play us, they're like, oh, God, we should have never done that. Well, how about, I mean. 
People are saying that the, the Chiefs is going to be a rivalry. I think the Bengals hate the Chargers. Like, the Bengals, that's the team they got circled. You said that. That's who you want oh, to play. Oh, I want the Chargers. The Bengals, the players want the Chargers. Yeah, because they, they, I feel like everybody watching that game that was being honest with themselves, once that game settled down, if we paused at 24-22 and said, okay, the game settled down, we've had some back and forth, who's the better team? Bengals. Everybody, Chargers fans, Chargers fans were sitting there with pee running down their leg. Also, Herbert cannot make, if he made three of those same throws in a playoff game in 15 degree weather in Cincinnati against the Bengals. Yeah, well, they got, Chargers got lucky that weekend too. It was supposed to be cold and rainy and we would have won that game easy. But anyway, that was the past. Looking forward to the future. Max, great show. A lot of fun. Oh, I got a prediction. Brandon Allen, 350 yards this weekend against Cleveland. Yeah, let's, uh, let's bury the Browns. With Brandon Allen. I'm very excited for that game. Let's end the Stefanski-Mayfield era this weekend. Nah, that won't happen. They've already given up. That's the thing is that I think that the Bengals' backups are super excited to prove to the coaching staff that maybe they should get some more time in the playoffs. Browns players are like, Browns players are like, get me the hell out of here. I want to go to Florida, Texas, Louisiana. I want to go wherever they don't show progressive commercials, goddammit. (laughs) That's what I want. What a fun show. This has been the 3AM Coney. That was Max Medulla and I'm Lucas Moore. We talked for a long time. If you made it to this point, we love you.